This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. It's Monday, it's February 19th, and you're listening to the very first episode ever of the future award-winning Moranalytics podcast. On today's show, I talk to WGR radio host and Buffalo Bills sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. We discuss Sal's growing up in Buffalo and then living in Florida for 16 years before returning to Buffalo to embark on a professional journey that's taken him from part-time radio host to one of the most well-known and respected sports personalities in the business. We also hit on personal relationships among the media, why tanking can have several negative ramifications on a franchise, and Sal takes us a little behind the scenes of that magical New Year's Eve a couple months ago when the Buffalo Bills finally ended their 17-year playoff drought. Then future recurring guest slash longtime friend Tone Pucks joins my podcast to debut our Pat with Pucks segment. As we talk fantasy baseball euphoria, Buffalo Bills quarterback scenarios, and have different opinions on the TV drama, This Is Us. And here's a spoiler alert. I'm right. I wrap up by giving out some weekly Moranalytics podcast hardware. Terrible tweets to a terrible Sabres fan. MVP to my second favorite comedian ever. And LVP to a clueless Fox News broadcaster. All that and more coming up. Actually, there is no and more. I literally just told you everything that's going to be on the show. Let's get started. Oh my God, it's so hot. It is just so incredibly hot. Why is so goddamn hot? It's so hot! It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. Now, typically, I would have hit you off with the intro, and then I would probably have an ad read about a product that I'm pretty sure you don't care about. And then in this spot right here, I would jump right into some opening takes on sports and pop culture. But 
because this is the first podcast of what I hope to be many, I'd rather take this one-time opportunity to tell you just a little bit about what you can expect when you tune into the show. As you heard in the intro, this podcast is going to be about sports, wrestling, music, especially 80s music, man. TV, film, basically everything is fair game, except for politics. I'm smart enough to realize no one wants to hear solely my voice for the duration of each show. So, this largely will be an interview and segment-driven podcast. And I will have different guests on each and every show. I'll draw from media, athletes, entertainers, basically anyone that I find interesting. I'm going to do my best to bring something different to these interviews because my primary goal is for you guys to get to know my guests on a little bit more of a personal level, take you a little bit behind the scenes of who they are and what they do. I also have a few recurring guests that I'm going to rotate in the mix each week and Those guys and girls will bring a little bit of a different flavor to the show. I'll also have some regular segments, some of which I'm sure are destined to flop miserably, but hopefully a few of them will be good enough to stick around and be something that you enjoy when you tune in. This will start as a weekly podcast, and I'll be dropping new episodes on Mondays, but after I do a handful of these, I'm thinking by late March, I'm going to move this to twice weekly with the second episode dropping every Thursday. So over the course of the first handful of episodes, I handpicked some guests that were really important for me to have on, three of them in particular, Sal Capaccio, who is on with me today. Another one is Tim Graham, who will be on the show next week. Tim's an award-winning journalist for the Buffalo News. He has his own radio show now, and if the dude wasn't busy enough, he's also a college professor who teaches a class. This guy literally has one of the most fascinating careers I've ever seen. And then another guy is Tyler Dunn. Tyler actually took me under his wing going all the way back to 2006. We worked together on a Buffalo Bills website under the uh, scout.com umbrella. And, man, you could just tell at that time, I could tell anyway, that Tyler was destined to do big things. And sure enough, he did. He'd go on to work for the Buffalo News, and eventually he got a job covering the Green Bay Packers. He would go on to come back to his hometown of Buffalo and cover the Bills for the News. And now, he's a national football writer for Bleacher Report. And he's not just a national writer, he's honestly one of the absolute best there is. So those three guys, I'm man, I am so pumped to have conversations with over the first few episodes here. Beyond that, I got some really cool guests and stories lined up in the first handful of weeks. I got some athletes, both former and current. I got a few book authors. And I got a great story about a guy I know who through hard work and Drastic lifestyle changes. Lost almost 200 pounds. And I'm talking 200 pounds the old-fashioned way over the course of about a year and a half. 
So I'm looking forward to telling that story, and I'm looking forward to having some really good chats with people. All right, enough with details and me bantering on. Let's jump right into my interview with Sal Capaccio, and we'll follow that up immediately with some Pat with Pucks. All right, he's a sports talk radio host at WGR, and he's also the sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills in the town where he was born and raised. In just a few short years, he's went from part-time radio host to a must-listen when it comes to the Bills, the NFL, and sports talk in general. My guest, my first ever guest on this podcast, is none other than Sal Capaccio. Sal, thanks for doing this and coming on today. Yeah, thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. I'm honored. You're a, so you're a Bills reporter. You're an NFL guy. You're a sports guy. You're a media guy. But on this podcast, my interviews are always going to start out with a quick chat about 80s music. So I hope you're good with that. I'm fine with that. I love 80s music. I, I'm a subscriber to Sirius XM, and my car is almost always on the 80s channel. I'm not kidding. So your level of 80s music fandom is still high. I, I know you love U2. Who are some of your favorite acts from the 80s? Ooh, favorite acts from the 80s. You know, I, I kind of cross all spectrums. I don't really have, like, particular necessarily acts, like anything. Um, but I'll, I'll listen to anything uh, really hard rock. I love, like, Iron Maiden. I can definitely get into some Iron Maiden. I love listening to that. Uh, into pretty much, like, I, I could listen to uh, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> I mean, you know, we could, we could go from all different kinds of things. Um, I know it's not 80s, but, like, I love Sinatra. You know what I mean? We can do that. And um, Van Halen was very big for me when I was growing up. Sure. Uh, Motley Crue was very big for me when I was growing up. Uh, but then there was the R&B phase as well, and you know you had um, you had Tone Loke and guys like that. So uh, you know LL Cool J. So I pretty much crossed all spectrums. I think this is my first podcast, but I've been doing this blog for about the past year. And I mean to be honest, mostly it sucks. But I have done some pretty cool '80s countdowns, and you're at that perfect age where you can remember and appreciate the '80s as you were just talking about. So I want to run down. I did the coolest countdown I did was a, a favorite 100 songs of the '80s and. Just briefly, I'm going to run down the top ten for you, and I just want to get a quick thought from you on each of these songs, okay? Okay. All right. Number ten was Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Um, a good tune for working out. Uh, not really, uh, I think maybe overrated as far as uh, the uh, impact it had maybe for the movie. And not, not the movie, but the, um, the overall soundtrack. I think there are better songs on that soundtrack. Okay, okay. Nine, Footloose, Kenny Loggins. Okay, so true story. If you are at a wedding with me, my wife will request, uh, and my wife, my wife will request Footloose because I will dance to Footloose and get everybody going. And I love dancing to Footloose because I love Footloose. Here's another true story. I legitimately have written the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the last six, seven years, complaining that he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh man, he's a movie soundtrack god, and yeah, I think it's ridiculous that he's not in the hall. I'm probably the only wow. person in the world who thinks that, but that's the way it goes. All right, so now the next two are both slow jams. Number eight, Heaven by Brian Adams. Uh, not really into that as much. Um, right here waiting, uh, is that a Brian Adams one? Is that a, no, no, no that's, that's um, who's that? Richard Marks. Richard Marks, okay, I'm thinking like that. Brian Adams is, um, he's the one that did, uh, Brian Adams. Oh, it, Summer of 69, did he do yeah, that? Yep, that's it. Right, right. Yep. I, I like I like more t- tunes like, Tunes like that from Brian Adams, although he did the one, Everything I Do, I Do For You, right? Uh, he did that. So not as much on the uh, on Heaven. Fair enough. All right, number seven, Against All Odds by Phil Collins. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, people don't realize that it was that it was a part of a movie soundtrack, right? Yeah. A really yep. big movie. Yep. Um, yep. It was really, really good. So, uh, very underrated tune for sure. Six, beat it, Michael Jackson. Oh, come on. Like, uh, I was Michael Jackson in, you know, third grade, fourth grade, sixth grade. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, love Michael. We all did. We all had to do the moonwalk. I mean, um, you know, I, 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 love, I love almost everything Michael Jackson. He is one of the greatest entertainers of our lifetimes. Sure is. All right. Number five, Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean. And not really much into it. Okay. Um, a good song. If it comes on. I'll keep it on. Like if I'm to, if I'm tuning through and I get to the '80s uh, music channel, uh, and all of a sudden I hear that, I, I might keep it on. I might like kind of jam to it a little bit, but nothing that I seek out. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm pretty sure that you're not gonna jam out to this tune. Number four, "Hello" by Lionel Richie. I like "Hello" a lot. I I actually could do karaoke to "Hello." I like that. So yeah. it's all right. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm good with that. I like Lionel Richie. That whole uh, that whole Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling, the mm-hmm. album there. Uh, you know, hello, uh, those songs, very good. I like uh, like Lionel Richie back then. Okay, number three, When Doves Cry by Prince. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Prince is just such an icon. It's just one of those songs that's so mainstream, though. If it comes on, you have to listen to it because you feel obligated because it's Prince and it's When Doves Cry. Mm-hmm. Number two, Africa by Toto. I mean, come on, what can we say? One of, one of the uh, greatest 80s songs ever. Uh, any list of 80s songs has to include Africa by Toto, or is it not a real list of 80s songs? <laughs> you're right, you're right. All right, and number one was Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Um, there we go again. You know, Michael, uh, we could put how many Michael Jackson songs could we put on this list? I mean, this is uh, it, it, Michael Jackson, Billie Jean. I think I if you... If you put them all up there, like, what's your favorite Michael song? I think maybe Billie Jean would be number one for most people, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. Definitely agree. All right, so that's enough with the 80s. Let's, uh, let's get back to your childhood. Now, you grew up in, in Buffalo. You grew up in Chictawaga, correct? I did, yes. And did you play a lot of sports as a kid? Oh, of course. Uh, that's all I was doing when I was a kid. I played sports. Whether you're talking recreationally or on organized teams, I did all of that. Um, I started playing Pop Warner football for Chictawaga Pop Warner in third grade. Um, you know, so it was, um, and that was with equipment. I was on the 65 pound team, by the way. So you couldn't weigh more than 65 pounds. Uh, you had to weigh in and stuff like that. Um, so I started playing that. I played baseball since I was in fourth or fifth grade, uh, local, you know, little league, but all the time we played street hockey so much every day uh, outside. We, we had, you know, group of, of us in our neighborhood against a group in another neighborhood. We'd get together on weekends. We'd play in the parking lot of Cleveland Hill uh, High School where I went to school, uh, all that stuff. We played, you know, football, obviously, with the backyard type of football, stuff like that. So it was just sports, sports, sports all the time. I always say this, Pat, true story. I always say... I um, I could tell you so much about sports because I played it and loved it and lived it. Like, I lived sports every day, reading, writing, talking about it, and playing. But you know what I know about a car? Wear a stick of key. Because while all my friends were working on cars or learning about cars, I was playing sports. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I couldn't tell you anything about cars or pretty much anything <laughs> except sports. So, when, even as a kid, I mean, did, did you know even as a child that, sports is what you wanted to do with your life when you got older? Is that something, or did you have other aspirations when you were a kid? Okay, so, I mean, I knew, I, I thought I wanted to play sports. Of course, we all did. I wanted to be center center fielder for the New York Yankees, right? I mean, that's right. what we all wanted to be when we were right. kids. Something, I wanted to be a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills and take over for Jerry Butler, my all-time, you know, icon. So, you know, I wanted to do that, but... You know, I didn't realize until I got older and was able to understand that you could actually make a living in sports. And it's actually my, my brother one time said to me, 
Uh, he said, you know, uh, a friend of his, he's like, when he goes to college, he's going to uh, take up sports broadcasting. I'm like, wait a minute, you can do that? I had no idea. Like, right. I was a, a little kid and I had no idea. I'm like, wow, that's not like something I would want to do. And um, I absolutely did. You know, I used to record Sabres. Uh, I used to watch Sabres games and Bills games, and I would record myself doing play-by-play. I was pretending to be Rick Jenneret or Van Miller, and I would go back and listen to it <laughs> to see how I sounded and kind of air-check myself uh, when I was a kid. But, oh, yeah, I totally wanted to be involved in sports since I was a kid. I didn't know. I really didn't know uh, you could do that. But there were other things that, you know, I, I thought about pretty much I never wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. Anything I ever wanted to do, though, revolved around being in the entertainment business and sports I consider entertainment business. For example, actually, I think before I actually realized I could make a, a living in sports, um, my first career goal was I wanted to be a game show host, to be quite really? honest with you. Really? I still would love to. I would love to host a game show. I think it would be amazing. It would be awesome. I'd love to host reality TV. Um you know, so those are – I, I always wanted to do something in the entertainment field, to be quite honest with what you. What kind of game show or what kind of reality TV show could you see yourself in your mind hosting? Well, if you read my uh, bio at WGR550.com, it says right there, my secret goal in life is to be the host of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. <laughs> now, now, look, I used to watch it years ago. It's been about 10 years since I watched it. I think it's been on even longer than that. But – um, I still like that's that would be perfect for me. I'd go to all these different countries, meet all these different people. I'd be, hey, we have one rose left, and I'd have to, you'd have to go in and talk to everybody about what's going on in the show. Oh, wait, what'd you think of when he did this? All that kind of stuff. I really enjoy unscripted work, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I love being like, I get asked to MC events a lot. Like, that's where I'm at my best. I like to be um, able to free flow. I don't want to have to read a teleprompter. I don't want to have to read a script. You know, if you have an event and you want me to be a part of it, like, I want to be someone who's up there and I can just kind of come up with my own thoughts and ideas, following along with what you want, obviously, but kind of be myself. And, and that's why I'd like to do that kind of work. A game show where you can be, I don't know, like Family Feud. You know, he goes and he talks to everybody and you have something to say to everybody. Um, you know, whether it's a sport game show or not those kinds of things that's what appeals to me you went to cleveland hill high school correct yes i went to cleveland hill from from kindergarten through 12th grade well, okay you went to syracuse for college <laughs> if you listen to wgr or if you're from buffalo everyone already knows that so you went to syracuse were there other choices that you considered or was it syracuse all the way it was Syracuse or Buff State. I flirted with Fredonia, too, because they have a good communications program. Uh, Buff State had a really good one. But honestly, like it was almost more of an ego and pride thing that I had to go to Syracuse, too, because I, I really wanted to go. First of all, I was a Syracuse basketball fan growing up, which was mm-hmm. really cool, and I wanted to go there. But that wasn't why I picked the school. I, I actually picked the school because, obviously, the prestige of being a sports broadcaster at Syracuse, I knew that it was Bob Costas, Don Crickey, Marv Albert, Dick Stockton, Ted Koppel from Nightline, Dick Clark. You name it, right? All these people who went to uh, Syracuse. That's why. But the other part of it for me, to be honest with you, Pat, was where I grew up, not a lot of people went to really big, prestigious schools. I consider that Syracuse. And it was kind of an ego and a pride thing. And I had people, I literally had friends of mine, close friends, tell me that I would have no chance to ever go there. Uh, And, and And part of it was because of money and financial reasons. I grew up pretty poor. My dad is a, uh immigrant. I'm a first-generation Italian. My dad never graduated uh, high school. We didn't have much growing up. I knew that it was very expensive to go to Syracuse. It was about $20,000 a year at the time, much, much more expensive now. Um, but you know what? I, I got in, took out a lot of loans, which I'm still paying for for the rest of my life. Um, you know, and, um, and that's a big reason why I went there, to be quite honest with you, because I said that I'm going to do something like this, and I really wanted to. You mentioned being a Syracuse fan, basketball fan growing up. I was too. In fact, man, 
how amazing was the Big East in the 80s with basketball? With, with Syracuse, Georgetown, St. John's, Nova, Seen Hall. It, it was like the best era of college basketball, in my opinion, ever. It was the best. No doubt about it. Uh, growing up, to be honest with you, um, you and I are about the same age. When we were in, what, middle school to high school, Syracuse-Georgetown was a huge rivalry, oh, right? Um, you know, and you remember Patrick Ewing and Sherman Douglas and Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, uh, Alonzo Mourning came along a little bit later. Uh, all those guys. It was an incredible rivalry. And in my school, uh, my friends who were big basketball fans, you either chose Syracuse or Georgetown. It was kind of like you were on one side or the other. There was no other team. You had to be one of the, yeah, and, and, I, and I chose Syracuse, and I hated Georgetown for whatever reason. I don't even know. To this day, um, I do remember Keith Smart hitting the shot um, uh, to beat Syracuse in '87 for Indiana. Uh, it was it, it was heartbreaking, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I do I did grow up a fan. Um, if we can, I'll tell you a, 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 a quick story too that I, I haven't I haven't really said never really told this story in the air very much. So I'll tell you this. So I went to the Big East tournament a couple times when I was living in Florida. I went up there in New York to to I was. I kind of working for this little online radio station down in Florida, and I covered some USF basketball games for them. So I'm like, oh, I'll go up there, but I really want to go watch Syracuse, right? So the way the Big East tournament works is, um, you know, you get tickets, you get a media pass for a certain session. You can't just go cover the whole thing unless you're maybe a national reporter. So I put in for the sessions for USF, and I'm like, well, hopefully Syracuse is sharing those sessions. You know how you have two games in the afternoon, two games at night, whatever. Well, it turned out that wasn't really the case. So the one game, the one, um, the quarterfinal game. I go there, and I cover, and I'm there for USF during the day. Syracuse is playing UConn at night, and I really want to go, but I don't have a media pass to get in. I'm like, you know what? I'll take my media pass. I'll go to the M- uh, go to MSG, and maybe I'll just kind of pull because they're all different color-coded, okay, mm-hmm. for whatever session. So I'm thinking I'll go there. Maybe I'll just kind of fool them or, you know, kind of flash it or whatever. So I go uh, – to MSG, and I'm trying to I'm trying to think how do I do this? I'm trying to finagle my way in. I'm standing in the lobby of MSG, and before I even go to like the media check-in or anything, I'm just watching. I see the Syracuse band come in. Well, there's a guy, a uh, security guard, who takes the rope to let them around him, and as he takes the rope, he turns his back, and I just walked with the band around the guy, and he never saw me, and I walked <laughs> in with the Syracuse band. So wait, so so then I take my media pass, and then once I get in the media area, no one's checking because you've already basically passed security, right? They don't have to check your pass anymore. So I go down and sit in the same spot I was earlier, and there was no one occupying that, and I was on the floor for the Syracuse-UConn six overtime game because of that. Oh, wow. Wow. That was it. That was the game. That was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And ever. that's a true story. I was, I was not supposed to be there. I snuck <laughs> in as a media member, and no one cared. No one said anything once I snuck in. That's amazing. So you, you mentioned Florida. You moved to Florida in 1995. What, what, what led to that? So when I was getting out of Syracuse, um, you know, Everybody's applying for jobs. You know, you're trying to get on air somewhere. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks that you're just going to be the next, you know, ESPN broadcaster, or whatever. It doesn't work like that. Right. Sorry, folks, if kids. If you're going into this business, it doesn't work like that. All right. Um, you know, you might get really, really super lucky, like winning the lottery, but um, you're going to have to go somewhere to get a job first. And I, my, one of my very good friends in high school, he, he says to me one day, he says, uh, "This is like probably late '94, early '95." He says, "Hey." My um, cousin runs a radio station in Florida. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, yeah. And he says, you've met him. I had met him a couple of times. He says, why don't you give him a call? Just, you know, maybe he has an opening or if he can point you in the right direction. I'm like, sure, I'll do that. So one day I did. And um, sure enough, he called me back uh, a couple of weeks later. And he's like, hey, he goes, look, um, you know, I don't 
I, I don't really have like on air jobs like for anybody full time, but we are looking for salespeople. And if you want to come down here and do sales, we might be able to find some on air opportunities for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, well that sounds cool because none of my friends are getting jobs on air. Like, right. um, you know, we're all kind of scrambling here. So I went down, I visited, they they wined and dined me, they took me jet skiing, they took me out on a boat, they did all these stuff, and I didn't realize, like, they were doing that because they are trying to show me what the little town I was going to really wasn't like. <laughs> they took me up to Sarasota <laughs> to show me, like, they took me up to Sarasota to show me the nightlife there when I was in this little retirement community. Uh, but anyway, I, I said, yeah, you know, so I, that's what happened, and they offered me a job, and I moved down, and order to do sales, uh, which sucked. I hated it. I, I hate it so much, but I had to do it if I wanted to be on the air. Then they um, they gave me a little sports show in the afternoon that I did, and then I, I filled in. I did, like, morning show hosting because the guy that hired me, he was the morning show host. And when – this was a news station, though. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sports station. So, you know, what they do – it's like – and, you know, AM fluff kind of talk. It wasn't hard-hitting. It was like WBEN-type talk, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but, you know, it was news and sports and weather and stuff like that. And, you know, that's uh, that's why I went down there, and that's where I started my career. Now, how did you become a football coach? I know you you coached a football team, and uh, you were a teacher at a school for what? For well, like what, ha- what happened was, because I was in this town, to piggyback off what I just said, the town where I was living was um, mostly retired people. I mean, there's an old joke that says uh, retired people move to Florida. Retired people's parents move to Englewood, Florida, which is where I was living. That's how old people are in this town. Um, you know, the average age was death is what they say. But, um, you, know, there, you know, there was a high school. Obviously, there were kids there. This high school is small by Florida standards, 1,300 kids to 1,600 kids, but that's pretty small, as you know, down there now. There's just all these huge schools. Right. And um, anyway... I, I was so I was living in this town. I was so bored basically every day. Like I'd I'd just do the sales and be on the air and blah blah. blah. At night I'm like I'm not meeting a lot of people. And then I'm like I need something to do in my life. I'm 22, 23 years old. Like and I said you know what? Um, and then the guy I was working with he goes you know we sponsor. He says we sponsor our station does a little league baseball team. He says maybe you might want to help coach him. I'm like yeah that'd be great. Like, I played baseball whatever through high school. Um, you know, see, we didn't talk about my exploits uh, in all sports in high school. I was uh, first team all division, Cleve Hill, uh, baseball and football player, by the way, oh, okay. and had a, and a Connolly Cup nominee uh, in football, by the way. See, I, you, I have to throw that in there just to sound like you know. So anyway, I don't mean to cut you off, but for, <laughs> for people who don't know who are listening, the Connolly Cup is the highest award that you can win as a high school football player. Yeah, thank you. I was uh, I was a nominee uh, for for that my uh, my senior year. But anyway, so. Um, I was a I was a baseball player too. I actually played some club ball at Syracuse. They didn't have a division team. I played a year of club baseball at Syracuse, which is like you know intramurals kind of. It's a little higher up than that, right. you know, a little more organized. But anyway, so um, I said I want to I'll, I'll start coaching, and I started coaching this little league team, and I really connected with the kids. I loved it. Really got involved with the parents, and it was really cool. And I said, oh, this is cool. And I you know what? I I also play football, and I think I could coach that. So I started coaching Pop Warner football. Uh, down there as well, and after a year, I, they gave me my own team. I was a young coach, like 24 years old. I'm, you know, coaching these 14 year olds, and Pop Warner football was going really well, Little League baseball, and I was the only coach in either one really that had no kids. You know, I was just doing it because I loved it, and it was to fill time. But I really wound up loving it. And then the local high school coach, Mike Messina, uh, not the same pitcher, <laughs> uh, Orioles and Yankees. Mike Messina is his name. Is his name? Friend of mine. He comes to me. And he's, he he has a clinic for all the Pop Warner coaches to learn the wing T offense because that's what he was running. And they wanted the Pop Warner to kind of learn it so that when those kids got to high school, because Florida's a different deal down there. It's like a feeder program, way different than it is up here. So 
um, I actually went to the clinic, and I was like one of the only coaches who went and was dedicated to learn it every single day, and I really learned the ins and outs of it and all that. So finally, at the end of the clinic, he's like, man, you're here every day. You're learning this stuff. You're a really good listener. I see the way you relate to kids. You're doing it for the right reasons. I have an opening on my junior varsity staff if you want to join next year. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So he hires me to his JV staff. Uh, down there, they have spring football. And, you know, you go, you play like you do in college for a month. It's, it's big, too. Yeah, so, you know, after a month of spring football, I'm like, man, you know what? Radio's not really, I'm not, I'm not on ESPN. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't know where this advanced into. I, I don't know where my career is going. I'm, I was impatient. I'm young. You know, um, maybe, maybe this is what I want to do for a living. So I went and visited with the principal at the school that I was coaching at and said, you know, I was thinking about maybe, maybe I want to do this full time. You know, should I be a teacher? And we had a long talk about it. And I came out of that meeting going, you know what? I'm going to do that. And I decided to um, go back to uh, school. I went to the University of South Florida, and I got certified to be a teacher and got hired by that school. And that's why I was a teacher and coach for 10 years. And I basically left radio except to stay in it part-time when uh, places would call. If they needed someone to come in and do a show or something like that. Uh, TV, same thing. I was doing a little TV show up in Sarasota with a guy who ran a little like sports talk show. And same thing. But uh, pretty much that was my life now. I was a teacher and I was a coach, and I did that for 10 years. Growing up as a kid, you learned the sport of football by playing it. And then as a young adult, you learned it further by being a coach. How, how much do you think being a coach eventually would, would help you as a, as a football reporter today? Invaluable. It's incredible. And you're like, it's not, it's not just the X's and O's. I mean, I know X's and O's. It's funny. Like I read people. It's, it, we live in this really huge explosion of the all 22 age. You know what I mean? It's crazy. And everybody, everybody thinks they analyze all 22 film. It's like, I don't do it, Pat, because I think there's too much saturation of it. And to be honest with you, I know what I don't know. And I think some of these people try to be way too smart when they do it to show what they do know when they really don't, if that makes sense. That makes you know? sense. And, and, and I don't do it because I know, like, what I've seen, I know what I know. Look, I know football. I know X's and O's. I could do that. I could sit there on a blackboard, chalkboard. We could talk about it. And I'll run circles around a lot of people who do it. But that's fine if you want to try and do that. But what I'll tell you, it's not just the X's and O's. Where it really comes in for my job now, for me coaching, is I really understand the coaching world and how the interactions work and how the relationships work and how the philosophies work and how practice is set up and what they're thinking and how a game plan works. I think all of that, how they you know, make decisions, it's not just game day, it's Monday through Saturday, like all of that stuff, I to- totally understand. Not even, and then when you talk about X's and O's, and not just play, I understand techniques, things like that, like why a certain guy has to uh, blocking a certain technique this way versus this way where another coach might teach it and what system they're running and how all that fits in. But I think more than anything, it's dealing with coaches, living in that world, understanding how coaches think, how they talk to each other, what they're thinking, really invaluable for me, the experience I had. Look, when I was coaching down in Florida, because it's so big, we would go to these we would go to these camps and these clinics put on by college coaches like uh, Urban Meyer up at Florida and Ron Zook up at Florida and uh, uh, um, O'Leary, Coach O'Leary down at, uh, at UCF. You know, we would do, we would go to these places, uh, Bobby Bowden at Florida State, whatever, and literally these coaches would allow us to stand in their huddle when plays were being called. I'm not kidding. It was crazy to learn. And then, and then we would, you know, during like, during, not during like a, a spring game, but like during practices when they're doing their individual work. Mm-hmm. And then we would literally go into rooms and get on chalkboards and blackboards and talk about football. It was amazing. I learned so much from those people. It's incredible. Did you know when you moved down here that it rains like every day for five months? I had no <laughs> idea. It rains from, say, June through October every day. It's crazy. Um, 
It rains for like an hour though, right? Like right in the afternoon, like four to five o'clock. Is yeah, but it rains it, at the worst time. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> you just gotta live through it. You're right. You're right. It does. When I was coaching little league baseball, we would um we would have so many uh, delays and you know, all star games would get pushed and stuff like that. And then you go to spring football practice and it's just like every day gets washed out. It seems like half the time. And then the other thing is, you gotta have a lot of patience if you're gonna live down here. During snowbird season, you know, and I'm sure some cities are bigger than others. Though I like, I live in Bradenton, which is right next to Sarasota, and it gets so yeah. busy here in the winter. And traffic, and it's like a it's a process just to go to Publix and, and buy groceries. You know what I mean? So absolutely, yeah. That's the other thing. That's a good point you raised. So, like where I live, like I had to get in my car to drive to the local grocery store, which was you know I don't know about a six seven minute drive, which is not like a huge deal, you know what I mean? But you know you have to go there. Where as opposed to now, I live near the Elmwood Village, and like everything's kind of right at my fingertips. When I when I um, moved back to Buffalo, we decided we wanted to live in an area where there were a lot more people because I lived in an area where there really wasn't for so long. But here's the other thing. So I remember the first week or so I was back, got my friend over at Chittawaga. I'm in Buffalo. Um, I don't know, remember where I was. And I text him, like, hey, I'm going to head over. haven't seen you in a while, whatever. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And I got there in like eight, nine minutes. And he's like, yeah, I was wondering where the hell were you? 20 minutes. I'm like, dude, I'm so used to being in Florida that everything <laughs> is 20 minutes or longer. And I thought this would be a quick drive compared to where I would be in Florida. And everything would be a half hour drive, it seems like. It's crazy. All right. So before you uh, got your current job at WGR and you became more of a mainstream personality, you, you really helped make a name for yourself on social media, especially like Buffalo Bills message boards. In fact, I remember first meeting you on, uh, I believe it might have been Bill Zone. You built a really nice following for yourself on the message boards, you know, posting some information and just your thoughts and your takes on things that really helped kind of build you a little bit of an underground fan base at the time. Yeah, here, I'll tell you the funny story how I got involved in that. So I was teaching and I wanted to do, I, I knew eventually at some point I wanted to stay, I don't know if I ever want, knew I would get back into radio full time. I think that secretly that was a goal and I don't know if I wanted to kind of admit myself and, and force myself to go down that road because it was scary because I just got a job as a teacher, I'm full time, stuff like that. But what I remember um, there was a there was a website called BillsInsider.com uh, years ago in early 2000s. And I remember reading an article, and at the end of the article, it said, if you want to write for us, you know, contact us. I'm like, oh, maybe I can do some writing. I, I, I know football. I know the Bills. That'd be pretty cool. So I did, and they're like, yeah, do some articles. So I wrote an article about uh, Travis Henry. I remember the article I wrote was about Travis Henry. And I, they published it. And at the end of the article, I read it, and on this website, it said, to discuss this article, please click here. I'm like, what is this? How do you discuss the article? Like, people are talking about what I wrote? And I clicked it, and it went to the Buffalo Range message board. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, people are talking about my article. Wait, oh, they're talking about this? They're talking about, this is all built? What is this? I had no idea. The message board world was so unfamiliar to me. I had no idea. <laughs> so I registered an account. I signed up. And I said, hey, I'm a coach, and blah, blah, blah. I'm in football. And I guess, I mean, I don't know how things happen. I'm just a nice guy. And I never wanted to piss anybody off online, to be honest with you. And I didn't want to get into fights with people. I didn't want to get into politics and stuff like that. So, you know what? People just gravitated. They said I was smart. They said I was good. And I was on there all the time. And I'll be, I'll be honest, I was on there way too much. Like, that became an addiction, being on those it message boards. Addiction. Right? And I know. And um, I remember when I first got married in 03, like, my wife would say something to me once in a while, like, oh, my God, you're on that thing all the time. And now I look back and I'm like, geez, I'm, I can't believe how much time I spent. But I think maybe today we're on Twitter like that. I don't really know. You know, I mean, that's uh, that's the, the way it was, but that's how that all started. And then 
I just kind of branched out and I went to some other ones like Bill Zone. That's where I met you. And, you know, the message board place is a weird place and you get all these weird personalities and things started happening and people were fighting over stuff and I don't know. So, you know, and then once I got, once I got back up here, I just kind of abandoned all that, to be honest with you, because I have my own thing now and, you know, I, I don't, it never, it, it's just not my thing anymore, you know? Now I heard on another podcast, tell us the story about how Brad Ryder, he indirectly helped lead to your Buffalo return at WGR. How did that happen? Okay, so um, in 2007, I, I was so I made the decision to start doing some broadcasting probably around uh, 2006, and I, I really didn't have an outlet for it down there. I wasn't full time in radio; I was still teaching. I wanted to keep my hand in it. I wanted to do something. I found this place online called uh, MySportsRadio.com, and they talked about podcasting. I'm like, I have no idea what podcasting is, and I contacted them. And I actually did this podcast called The Buffalo Stampede. Remember that? Remember yeah. I did this podcast called The Buffalo Stampede? So I did that. And um, I was doing it, and it was like I was one of the first real podcasters down there, you know, uh, when I was doing this down there. The podcasting was not big yet. This was 06. And I started doing this NFL show. It was called NFL Now, and then I did another one called Bills Now. But anyway, I was doing it, and I was trying to get back into it. What about a year later? Um, 2007, my, it, it, yeah, it was 2007, uh, I read or my buddy sends me a text. I can't remember the order, but either way, WGR fired Brad Ryder and, um, I, he was doing a show at night or whatever. And my buddy says, dude, you, you got to apply for this job. And I'm like, yeah, I just read about it. I'm really neat to. So I basically sent some stuff in to WGR and said, Hey, I want to apply for this job. This is what I'm doing. I used to do radio. I'm in podcasting now. And the station manager at the time, the program director, Andy Roth, calls me up. True story. He says, hey, I just want to touch base with you. I got your stuff. I really want to be honest with you here. You basically have no shot for this job. That's what he said to me on the phone. Wow. He said, um, but I just want you to know I got your stuff and I'll keep it handy in case I don't, in case I don't like anybody else, I might revisit you later. I'm like, okay, whatever that means, right? right. So I called, I talked to him, we kind of chatted about my business. He's like, well, you're not even doing anything in radio right now. I'm like, well, right, but I do my own podcast, and I was in radio, and I know what I'm doing. He's like, okay, well, he goes, I'm going to, I said, why don't you give me a shot? Just put me on there. He goes, I, he goes, you're nuts if you think I'd put you on the air. I'm like, all right, well, I don't know how else you want me to do it, but, you know, whatever. So he goes, well, I'm going to listen to some people, and we'll see where we are. So for the next, um, it was a nighttime show. For the next, like, month or so, Pat, like, I would... I would hear these other people doing shows, and I'm like, wait a minute, these people are auditioning. Like, that's what he's doing. He's auditioning these people. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy, right? Oh, my God, this guy sucks. And I'm like, man, what's going on here? Well, I get a call out of the blue one day, and he says, hey, I didn't like anybody I heard. I really, I'll give you a chance here. I'm like, all right, this is my opening. He says, um, if you want to be on the air, he says, I'll give you a chance. You can do a show. It was a 7, 9 p.m. show. He says, uh, I need you to go, do you have access to an ISDN line. Now, for those who don't know, we're listening, an ISDN line is a basically like a, a really a digital satellite, digital line into from one, it's how, how games are broadcast basically, right. you know. Um, and I'm like, I don't. My station doesn't have one. My station was too small where I had worked at. I had very new, new people there. He's like, well, um, I, have a, I have a friend up in uh, Tampa who will give you access to one if you want to go up there. Let's set it up. So I literally drove to Tampa an hour and a half away went in on Halloween night 2007. I remember it distinctly because I was on the air talking about being, hey, kids are out there trick-or-treating, be safe. And um, they gave me an ISDN line. I sat in this room 
with nothing around me other than a window uh, and a computer. Um, and the, I don't know, I think it was Dave Buchanan maybe, I don't even remember, back at the station at WGR, on AOL Instant Messenger was telling me, like, Frank and Lackawanna or Joe and Chictawaga. Like, that's how he was telling me who was on the air. I had no contact with these. And I, and I did a show. And I got done, and he really liked me. And he called me. He's like, your energy was awesome. I really loved the show. I want you to do another one. I did another one a week later. It was election night. I remember it. It was like a week later. And um, he really liked me. And then I heard Dennis Williams do a show. Now, remember Dennis? Dennis oh. was on Channel 4, yep. sports director. And I heard him 7 to 9. And I said to myself, I'm not getting this job. Dennis Williams is getting this job. He's pretty good. I don't think he's, like, fabulous, but he's really he's, he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And he's Dennis Williams. And he's a name in the market. And I'm Sal Capaccio, and I'm not. So I get a call from Andy not too long late. He says, look, you're the best person for this job. That's what he told me. He said, if I needed a full-time guy, I would totally hire you, but I'm only looking for a part-time guy, so I don't want to have to have you leave your full-time job in Florida with your wife to come up here to Buffalo, New York to work part-time. I'm going to hire Dennis Williams because he gives me a name in the market, and I can uh, basically now I have a relationship with CBS where we, we have the Final Four and ABC and uh, AFC football and the Masters, and I'm like, wow, like that's crazy. And I basically told him, I said, so you're telling me the best person for the job Maybe you should offer it to me then. I said, because here's the thing. I'm an adult. You can tell me, like, if, if, if you, that's on me, not, not on you. Like, you should tell me, hey, I don't have a full-time job. I have a part-time job. But if you want to try it, that's up to you. But here are the risks and here's what, like, that should be my choice, right? right. Yeah. But, but, but he felt that, um, you know, he was, he was trying to protect me, and I get it. But, um, you know, he hired, he, they hired Dennis Williams, and that's how, that's how that happened. But that relationship started, and then he said, I'll tell you what. You know, if you're coming up here in the summer at all, if you're ever up here, I'll put you on for a show, you know, keep your reps. He said, in the meantime, I need you to do more reps, do more reps, keep involved, keep involved. So I started, I started ramping up the podcast and then that's when I started doing video casts from my mom's basement, essentially, was because he told me that, like, you need to do more, you need to have more reps, uh, you need to have your name out there more and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what I started doing. And then I come back, I come to Buffalo in 08. I did a show one weekend because I was up here. I called Andy. I'm coming up. I did the same thing in 09. And then the the T.O. story breaks in 09. I, you know, if you want to talk about that, I get the uh, tip that the Bills are going to sign T.O. I put it out there. Leap of faith. I'm right. My name gets huge in the market. People know who I am. Yeah, he now all of a sudden he know you know this is a this is something that he's had me on his station that kind of thing. And then he told me, look, if you ever want to move here on your own. Quit your job. Come on up. Work part-time. I'll give you a job. You're not going to work for much money, and you're not going to work many hours. He told me that straight up. Right. He said, but I, I don't have anything full-time. But if you want to do that, that's fine. You can do that. Well, guess what I did a few years later? How difficult was it or is it to transfer your emotions from being a lifelong Bills fan into being an objective journalist when you're on the air? You know, someone who can cover the team without bias or favoritism. It, it, it had to be hard. Well, look, I mean, I... This is a, a debate and an issue I have all the time with people. Um, I know what people say about me, Pat. I understand, like, I, I'm considered, oh, he's a homer. He does. He protects the organization. He's too much of a fan. I, I get think, it. I, I don't think that's the case so much anymore. It might have been the case maybe when you first started, but sure. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. I appreciate that, and, and I've worked hard to not have that. But you know what? It's also something I've kind of accepted. If people are going to think that about me, that's fine. If you want to think that about me, that's fine. Here's what I'll say. Everybody's from somewhere. We all got into this business because we love sports, and we all probably had favorite teams. 
I'm I, I'm not a Bills fan per se. I'm a Buffalo fan. I really am. I want right. this city to have successful teams. I want this city to succeed in its sports endeavors and its economic endeavors and its education endeavors and everything. I want that to happen. Um, I grew up a Bills fan. I grew up with season tickets during the Super Bowl years coming back on a Greyhound bus from Syracuse. That part of my life can't just go away. I don't right. think you just all of a sudden separate that. But I also know I have a job to do and I have to be a professional. And when I get on the microphone, I have to be critical of things that happen. Here's the thing. I think the part of the reason why people say that about me still, some people is because, quite honest with you, I just don't take cheap shots. And I think sometimes all people want you to do is yell about the team and tell you how much they suck and how everybody should be fired. Right. That's not me. That's, that's not me. I'm not that guy. I'm, I can tell you that I think that Sean McDermott made a mistake on, on a fourth down call. I can tell you that they made a mistake in um, you know, signing a guy. It doesn't mean that I have to tell, go scorched earth on everybody and go out for blood and tell you why I think everybody should be fired. If that's the person you're looking for, I'm not the guy. Don't listen to me. I mean – I think I can be fair, and I think I can be objective, and still I want this team to succeed because I want Buffalo to succeed. And you know what? Because I'm on the broadcast, and I'm part of the, I'm, I'm around the team a lot, and I'm part of the team in that way. I'm part of the radio network. Yeah, you know, you, you, you grow, you have relationships with people, and we're supposed to, you know, keep those relationships to professional, and that's, that's fine and dandy. But you know what? I mean, this is, we are human beings. We have emotions, and in life, you, have, you develop relationships with people, and you want to see them do well and succeed and things like that, whether that goes for players or front office people or whatever it is, trainers, I don't know. So I, I think I do a good job. I try to, to always be fair. It's, you know, say objective. Objective is a key word. You want to be objective. I just want to be fair. Right. I want to make sure that I'm fair in everything and how I do it. I don't, want to, I don't want to sensationalize the good or the bad. I just want to make sure I'm trying to give you a fair assessment of what's going on. It doesn't mean that I have to go overboard either way, and I try not to do that. Part of the gig when you're on the air, obviously, you've got to deal with a lot of horrible calls. How hard is it sometimes to maintain and keep a little composure and patience when on the inside you're probably dying to tee off on someone after a string of stupid calls? Now, I, I remember, I try to listen to WGR as much as I can So, and I remember right after the season ended, you had a show, in the first segment, it was like four or five awful calls in a row. In fact, one of them, I remember someone suggested that instead of cutting Tyrod Taylor, the Bills should move him to a different position. And it's not like he was joking either. How, no. How do, you, how do you keep your composure on air when you get phone calls like that? I mean, you know, every day is different. Every week is different if I'm on, you know, on Saturdays. And it's just, it's just hard sometimes because, you know, we're all humans, like I said, and I might be in a mood where I just don't want to take it that day, and this is ridiculous. And I might be in a mood where, okay, whatever, man, let's just move on to the next person. Um, you know, what's funny is we live in this age of social media where people have instant access to you and, and to me as well and all that kind of stuff, and no matter how I treat a caller like that, I'm going to get somebody who's going to tell me that I was wrong for treating the caller like that. Right. It doesn't matter. It, it happens all the time. If I laugh at that person and cut them off, there are people who will say, you're such a jerk on the air. Why do you treat your caller so horribly? Yeah. Okay? And if I let that person speak and then actually give them a response like, hey, I don't think they're going to do that, people are like, dude, like, why did you let that guy speak? He didn't deserve that time. So like, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, um, it just kind of depends on the mood I'm in that day and, you know, what's going on, to be quite honest with you. But, boy, you do get some interesting ones, I'll tell you that. What's it like to be on WGR and be the, the station's most vocal anti-tank guy when it comes to ah. favors or pretty much anyone, really? When, you know, print, print journals are constantly ripping your pairs at the station because many of them have been quite vocal pro-tank. 
And do you hate being lumped into that generality of because you work at WGR that automatically means that you want the Sabres to tank? Um, first of all, I don't think I'm anti-tank. Um, I think that's a little bit. You're not the first person to say that. I would not. I would not paint myself that way. I actually actually understand why teams would do it, and I don't blame some teams for doing it. Um, there's it's it's very hard for me to explain. Um, I'm anti non-competition. <laughs> Uh, I think that I think that you should always want to compete and do your best and things like that. And I also don't think that it's an end-all, be-all. And I think that you can have major ramifications negatively from tanking. And I think we're seeing that a little bit with the Sabres here, which is something I was worried about and why I didn't want it to happen. I thought that that could bleed over. And I thought it, it's not just a cure-all uh, for everything. I also don't think it should be celebrated. I think that's the biggest thing about it for me. Um, I think we... We convinced ourselves because of elements at our own station and hosted our station and the way that a lot of other people in the media and fans, we a lot of people in Buffalo convinced themselves that losing is actually better than winning because what can happen five years from now? Losing is never better than winning. Winning is always better than losing, period. Right. Um, losing sucks, and that's what I'm against. And I think it's, it's become too easy because of the let's tank, let's tank, let's tank stuff, I think it became – and what I was fighting against, Pat, was it was becoming too easy to just quit and say let's lose when I don't think that should be the goal of sports. You should want to win. I understand, again, the theory of getting a better draft pick and things like that. Um, to me, I actually liken it to a kid playing a video game, and when things aren't going his way, he just hits reset. Right. Because he wants it, – it, it's just easy, right? Just easy. It's reset. Ah, we to start over. That's not how it works, man. You play it through. You might lose. You might lose. But you know what? You do your you, – you try your ass off, and you figure out a way to get better the next time you do it. You know? So that's really what I fight. What's it like? It's okay. I think at first I was a little more apprehensive to be a little more, a little less uh, – to be as vocal about it because of the other hosts. But I have great relationships with them. You know, we're and, – and they – as long as you respect others' opinions, I think that – I think that every radio station needs all different sorts of opinions. That's all. So, you know, I don't. It's not a. Um, it's not a stick. I mean, I actually believe it, but I think it helps out that we have people that are on different sides of that argument. To be quite honest with you, culture. I think it matters a lot. Jeremy does not think it matters to the end result. Um, Shope does not think it matters to the end result. I differ. I think it's different. I was a coach. I've seen things happen in the locker room. I was a teacher. I think in any single, in any environment, in any endeavor you do, I think culture matters to the end result uh, to things. For example, when I was a teacher, I had two different principles. They had two distinctly different cultures. It doesn't mean one is better than the other, but there are two different cultures and ways to go about trying to be successful as a school. Um, I was the head girls track coach at my school for six years. And when I got the job, true story, when I got the job, they had not won a district championship in 12 years, I believe. I got the job. We won it our first year, and I won three out of the first four years because I made track fun and, and important and, wanted, and kids wanted to be a part of the team. To me, that's the culture, and that's how I changed things. And I, So I saw that culture change because I was a part of it. So I do think it matters, and I think that's where a lot of us differ. But I think it's okay to have those other opinions if, if people want to. How are relationships in general, among the media, among different outlets. Because on one hand, many of you guys and ladies, you know, you guys share a bond, spend a lot of time together, you get to know each other, you travel to different cities together. But at the same time, at the end of the day, 
it's kind of a competition, or at least it could be when it comes to, you know, gathering news for stories, finding sources, etc. How, in general, how is the relationship amongst media from, from different places? Do you want, you mean like a relationship between whom? For example, like you and, say, Mike Roddick from, from ESPN, or, you know. Okay, so how, the what's the relationship news. between different outlets and different people from yeah, different like, outlets? Like, just, like, not, like, so much company against company. I'm not talking, like, WGR against Buffalo News. Right. I'm the, just talking about, like, the guys that you're, that you're at the press conference with every week. You know what I mean? That you're on the road with every week. How are the relationships, uh, in generally speaking, with the media? Like, are you guys, do you guys become good friends? For the most part, for the most part. Um, most people who are on the same beat all the time, like the Bills or the Sabres, we're all friends. Uh, we might not hang out all the time having dinner and beer, but we're all friends. We get along. We talk. Uh, you're also competitors. You're not sharing stories necessarily. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not right. going up and, hey, I got this tip for you. You know what I mean? You're, you're trying to get something that someone else doesn't have. You're, you're a competitor. Um, but in a way, we're all family. You know, we're all trying to do our best and – uh, you know, have the same goal, which is to do our best at our own particular job, but that job involves the same thing. Um, there are some who become much tighter with others. There are some, there are some who don't like each other. There's no doubt about that. doesn't mean they're fist fighting every day they show right. up either. They just don't necessarily talk. And even those who are friends, um, you get into arguments or, you know, get mad at each other about something, just like any people would who are around each other uh, that much. But for the most part, you're your friends. Um, look, there are there are business relationships to understand though as well. You know, for example, I go on TV on Channel Four. You know, I have a I have a business relationship with them, and Josh Reed, the sports director, is a friend of mine. Right. Through partly partly through that, but because you know, I don't know if it's chick, whatever chicken or egg, but one you know, however that developed, maybe we became friends, and then he asked me to be on, and I have this relationship with him. But you know, we're friends. I think one of the things I've noticed is. There is such an age difference in the people who cover the Bills, for example. Like you have the you have the guys who've been there around a long time: Jerry Sullivan, Vic Carucci, John Morrow, guys like that. Then you have the guys who really are kind of more new. And I'm not saying like they just started yesterday, but you know, Joe B is young, and Mike Rodak's young, and Matt Fairburn's young, and uh, those guys are young. And I'm kind of in between. I'm not now. I wasn't on the beat necessarily. Um, you know through all these years, but I'm kind of in between with my age. So right. I see those dynamics at play. Like when we, when people, when you're in other cities, I kind of gravitate towards guys who are probably more my age, like, uh, like a Josh Reed, a John Scott's in his thirties, you know, something like that. I'll, I'll hang out with Rodak or Joe B and Matt Fair, Fairburn or something like that. But admittedly, like their life is way different than mine because those are all guys who are younger, who aren't married with families. You know what I mean? Um, whereas, you know, some of the guys I'll relate to may, maybe might be. But I might also not relate to Vic Carucci or um, John Worrell because, you know, those guys are guys have been there a long time. They've developed different relationships with different types of people, and they uh, have things going on. So I think it's um, I think it's it's anything you would expect for any other type of company or place where you go. But I will say, in general, I pretty much get along with everybody. Um, sure, you have your disagreements, and I think for the most part, we all try to get along, and you, you're friendly with each other, but you also know that you're in competition with each other. To date, what's been your favorite on-air interview? It's a tough question. I can't remember a lot of them I've done, but I would say... I, I, before, um, before you answer, I have... I'm going to answer for you say. after, but go ahead. Richie Campbell? Yes. Yeah, Richie Campbell. I think that would be number one. That interview with Richie was powerful. And if people haven't heard it, they can you know go back and Google it or something. Tell but. tell people briefly a little bit about 
Richie, because like I said, not everyone who's listening to this is from Buffalo or even know who Richie Camel is, but what a fascinating story and a fascinating person this guy is. Richie was the best basketball player, high school basketballer I've ever seen, I think you've ever seen, oh that you've said. Oh uh, Burgard High School in Buffalo was incredible. Uh, didn't have the grades to go play at a major college, but um, uh, you know he was getting recruited and stuff like that, and then... I don't remember the timeline of all the events. We went to junior college first, but either way, um, he had been arrested a few times for drugs and things like that, but uh, he was at a party. There was a gun. Gun went off. A young woman got killed. Richie went to jail for several years, Um, and, you know, he came out of jail, and uh, I did a big interview with him about, you know, his life uh, before jail, in jail, in prison, Um, you know, what it was like. Basically, they were like the Globetrotters, man, but that Burgard team was – at another another place, him and Marcus Whitfield, they were incredible. And, um, you know, uh, you'd go and watch them. But that was powerful. And Richie talked a lot about his life both before prison and during prison and after prison. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we did that. And because of that, I struck up a relationship with Richie um, and, I, and people around him. And there's a documentary that was made about Richie. And I was asked to go to the... Uh, inaugural premiere of the, do- the the premiere of the documentary, and I introduced Richie to the to the crowd before the movie. Actually, uh, it, it was an absolutely fascinating interview. And I, I went to Lafayette High School, and I didn't play on the team, but like I, I was a, a stat guy. And I'll never, man, this guy would just come up to court. He'd be flirting with girls during the game in the stands, dropping forty five points, hitting threes. <laughs> I've never seen a basketball player like this guy. I mean, like he was a star. And it was, it was a tragic story, but in a way, a good personal comeback. It was just, man, like you said, you you got to go in the vault and listen to that interview if you haven't before. It, it was just, it was amazing. What athlete have you interviewed that, like, made you the most nervous? Have you ever interviewed wow. someone where you were nervous to interview them? Nervous to interview them? Um, boy, that's a, that's a good question. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I've ever been nervous to necessarily interview an athlete. Um, I think when LaShawn McCoy got here, uh, that was, you know, a little different. You know, everybody's trying to get – I think my, my first few my first few weeks on the beat when I was full-time reporter, I think it was most nervous because I want to make sure I was doing everything right. So it wasn't from, a, wasn't from a standpoint of I was nervous to talk to this athlete. It was more of a, am I doing my job right? Nervous. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'm the full-time beat reporter now. I just took over for Joe who went to Channel 7 and I'm doing this. And I will tell you the story is, so LaShawn McCoy, it's his first you know, interview with the Buffalo media. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to get this right. It's like my, one of my first times being on the full-time beat and I'm in there. And... I, I asked him a question that totally did not come out right. Um, what I what I was what I asked him was essentially, are you going to be okay with running with a fullback in front of you when you, you've never really done that in your career? And of course he had. And what I had meant was when he was with Chip Kelly, he really wasn't doing that. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I just I kind of broadened the stroke, broadened it a little bit more than I should have, and I wasn't. It was trying to get the question out quickly. And Lashawn basically called me out right there, like first day, and he's like, "You have," he's like, "You have to do your homework better." I ran with a fullback, uh, with uh, you know, under it, back at uh, back at Pitt, you know, and I'm like, okay. Or in my first few years with Andy Reid, and that was kind of embarrassing for me. It really was. I wasn't, but that was kind of the. The nervous part of me, I think, came out because of that, because I was trying to do my job right and ask the right questions, and I didn't ask the right question in that moment. (laughs) I don't expect you to name names, especially since you covered a team, but what percentage of football players in the locker room 
are kind of like shitty to the media in general. Like to the point where you walk away, and I mean, you never say this on air, but you walk away and you think to yourself, man, this guy's kind of an ass. You know, how, how many guys in the locker room are like that in the NFL? I, I've been in the locker room a couple times, obviously nothing like you, but I have covered Bills games before, and I have been in the locker room before, going back like probably a decade or so. And then I've been, covered NHL games that I've been in the locker room. It just seems like football players, they're, they, they can be tough to deal with. Um, I can't compare two hockey players because I don't cover them. I've actually kind of heard the opposite from some people, that some of the hockey players are a little tougher to deal with these days. So I don't really know, but I, that may be, you know, that might be on the reporter. That might be, you never know. <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe which, I'm, that, that's terrible. But no, no, no. And I mean, like each reporter might relate to a different crowd differently. I don't know. You know what I mean? Who knows what that is? Uh, and each personality and each personality in the locker room is different. Um, very few guys are real jerks. Very few. Uh, I would say he wasn't like he wasn't a, jer- a jerk directly to your face. But Mario Williams was super tough to deal with. He didn't want to talk to the media, and he didn't have to. And the Bills basically didn't have to make him available because he was like this designated guy that didn't have to talk all the time and stuff like that. And it rubbed his own teammates wrong. You know, everybody everybody made a big deal about the mini fridge and stuff like that, and how people made fun of the media for making a big deal about that. Look, the, the bottom line is his own teammates didn't like the fact that he had a locker that had all this, uh, he had like electricity in it and he could have a fridge in there when they didn't and, he's, and he didn't have to talk to the media. Like he rubbed people the wrong way because of that. Maybe not his fault, um, but he was a diva pretty much. And, you know, that's why stuff like that, there was big stuff made. You think people weren't just making stuff up. Hey, as a mini fridge, he's a jerk. It was, you talk to a guy over in the other locker room who had been there six, seven years and he can't even plug his own cell phone charger into his locker because he didn't have electricity in that locker and this guy's got a mini fridge and he doesn't have to talk to the media right. that didn't play over very well you know that that's why although by the way i will say they've completely redone the locker room since then so every person has electricity in their locker i just want everybody to know that uh that was that was a different time um so i think he was a little difficult um i don't know I, it's hard for me to say there's just some guys that you totally avoid because they're never going to give you anything substantial. They're never going to give you a real quote. They're never going to give you something that you can go with. Uh, that that happens sometimes. A lot of times it's the quarterback, to be quite honest right. with you. You know, um, you know, you're not going to get a lot from a lot of guys. They're just going to kind of give you the same old, same old. And uh, you know that. But but I would say there's very few jerks, like guys who are just not. When we his rookie year. Um, Ron Darby, maybe it was his second year, Ron Darby blasted music in his locker from a speaker because he didn't want the media to come near him. Right? I mean, like, what are you doing, right? Now, I will say, when you did talk to Ron Darby, he was thoughtful and he was good. He just didn't like to do it that much, so he kind of did whatever he could to avoid those situations sometimes. Who've been a few of your favorite players that covered during your time with the team? I mean, there's been there's been a lot. Obviously, I've developed relationships with guys like Lorenzo Alexander and Eddie Yarbrough because I've done TV shows with them, I, and you know they're great to go to. Lorenzo is such a great guy because he's he's so smart. He's the NFLPA rep and on the executive board, I think, for all the players, something like that. So he's really good for stuff like that. Eric Woods always been a stand-up guy to go to, win or lose. Uh, Richie's fun. Richie's fun. Um, you know, he's in a different way. You like to go to him. He'll he'll be kind of he'll be kind of canned in his sound bites when he's got the, when you have the camera turned on him and the mic on. But you know, when you go to him, really want to talk, like it's really good. You can get some good stuff and and talk about. Like I can really get into like what it's like to block a certain player. Hey, what's like you know with Sue or another guy and JJ Watt. Like he, he's good like that. I, I enjoy guys like that. Uh, Nikel Roby Coleman was great for me like that. Um, 
when I talk to him, we could get some, we could get in depth. This is where the coaching part of me comes in, Pat. By the way, which is I can kind of talk to those guys about some of the things you know that they're, they're seeing, and I can ask them questions, and I think they respect me for knowing what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And ask him a question about technique or something like that, and the, that's pretty cool. Um, Kyle Williams has always been great to deal with. LaShawn is great because he's unfiltered, and you just never know what he's going to say, and I like that. And now, granted, it makes our job a little tougher sometimes when guys are like that because now all of a sudden you got a story when you didn't think you had a story, and you got to kind of figure out what's going on and write about it and stuff like that, and it could become something that you know wasn't supposed to be. But I like guys who are... Um, unfiltered like that, like LaShawn McCoy. So um, there's been a lot of guys over the years who are really good. Stevie Johnson was great uh, to deal with and uh, uh, to talk to and stuff like that. With uh, with Eric Wood gone and Kyle Williams likely gone as well, who takes over as the leader in that locker room now? Well, I think Tyra, I'm sorry, I think Lorenzo is still the number one guy. Uh, we'll see what happens with Kyle. Um, you know, I think um, Sean McDermott has probably felt that he brought in some guys, excuse me, through drafting last year. Maybe they can take over those types of roles. That's a good question. Uh, maybe there's another free agent or two that they bring in here. Um, I think, uh, I'm trying to think going through everybody on the team. You know, Jerry Hughes has got to be a, lo- a leader in there. I think he's a guy that, you know, can step up and, and be a guy like that. Uh, he has a lot of respect in that locker room. Um, trying to think of, oh, Micah Hyde. I think Micah Hyde is a is a guy. If Micah Hyde wasn't on a team with Lorenzo and Kyle on a defense with those guys, I think he'd be a team captain. So I think he's a really good leader for something like that. Um, so, you know, there's guys I think that can step up and, and, and fill that role. Do you remember a recent Bills offseason when there's going to be so much uncertainty going into the spring? Who knows what they're going to do at quarterback? Tyrod could get cut or traded, and that remains to be seen. Ditto for Cordy Glenn. He could be gone. I've read things that maybe the Bills look to deal Jack Lawson. Uh, guys like Gaines and Preston Brown, Jordan Matthews are all free agents. They're going to lose a lot of guys, and that means they're going to have to add a lot. Is, is this going to be a crazy offseason like it appears it's going to be? Here's the thing, man. I hope it is, but I'm setting myself up to be disappointed, I think. right? I mean, a lot of times we think, oh, this is going to happen, and what's going to happen with all these guys hit the market, or there's going to be this crazy trade frenzy, and uh, suddenly nothing ever happens, right? So... I'm hoping. I do think it's going to be an interesting offseason. I don't know how active the Bills are going to be. They're still in a cap situation where I think they're really trying to get it one more year super healthy for 2019, which they can. Um, But I do think it's going to be pretty interesting because you certainly see some dominoes falling. Uh, And then all of those things are going to have ripple effects around the league. So, yeah, I do think it's going to be fun. I just don't want to dive so head in, Pat, that I'm like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then I get super disappointed because it's not. Fair enough. Before I let you go, i got to talk about New Year's Eve. That had to be one of the best days of your life, professionally, maybe personally as well, to be able to be, I don't know, just to be able to have that perspective that the Bills finally break the drought after 17 years, and you're standing on the field, you know what I mean? You're there, you're covering the game, that's your living, that's what you do. And then after the game, you know, the Bills, and it's all over, you know, the videos are all over now, they're in their locker room watching the, the end of the Cincy game, you, you guys, a bunch of media are watching it on the phone together, just... That had to be one of the most unbelievable uh, days and nights of of your life to be able to be there when it happened. It was uh, it was pretty cool, man. You know, um, that's one of those moments where I think you. I'm not going to say you suspend your ob- objectivity and, be, and become a fan. That's not what I'm going to say, but I think you allow yourself to be happy for people, even if you really are 
you know, one of these people who has to all the time stay in this box, be objective. I think it's okay to allow yourself to feel that emotion because you're around. How can you not? How could you not feel that being around that group and that team and what it meant for that for this city and for that group of people that you've covered and that you've developed relationships with? I think, you know, that was one of those moments that you're allowing that to happen. And that certainly showed up when we were waiting outside the locker room. We did not we were not in the locker room, as you know, that was just right. the team. You've seen the videos. Was we were waiting outside the locker room. We knew they were watching the game. We were all watching it on our phones. Mm-hmm. And Joe Biscalia had his phone out, and Vic Carucci had his, and I had mine. And then I got mine on video watching the last uh, few plays when Baltimore got the ball back. And when when Joe screamed out, touchdown, like he was like, it, what happened was Biscalia's got his phone there, and he's watching the, um, the play-by-play on ESPN. He said something like, he goes, touchdown. Like, we're all like, what? And I, I thought it might have been a, like a pick six the other way, a game's over since he loses. And then I looked, and then mine refreshed, and I saw it, and I'm like, oh, my God, they scored a touchdown. And everybody, everybody, there was there was literally, like, I'm not going to say outright cheering, but it was like, oh, my God, yes, wow, cool, right? Everybody, this is this is happening. This is amazing. And that, and that was incredible. So anyway, after, in the locker room, obviously, you're doing your job, you're getting the interviews, you see the emotions, stuff like that. And then I get on the plane to come back, and I'm on the plane with the team, mm-hmm. and I mean, what a, what a great, it was a great party. And the funny story is, so... Every year, WGR, two different road trips a year, they take clients on the actual plane with the team. So if you're a big advertiser, you might be one of these people. Like if you're, you know, I'm not going to name names necessarily, but a couple different big sponsors, it's a sponsor's trip, okay? A lot of teams do this. Well, that happened to be one of the sponsor trips. So imagine this, Pat. Imagine you, as a business owner, you advertise, and that's the trip you go on, and you get to be on that team plane coming back. That's hitting the lottery right there. Right. That was the most amazing sponsor trip ever. And these people were, it was crazy for them. It was great. You know, um, you know, it, it was just, uh, it was fun watching them be able to have that fun. It was really cool. And then getting off that plane and then seeing those people at the airport. And this goes back to what you say about, and what you asked me about, you know, being recognized and fans and stuff. Like, I mean, I'm going, I'm shooting my, on my camera, and yet people are yelling my name and singing my song. And I'm like, come on, man. Is that, you know, it's, the, these guys I just made the playoffs, but, but that because they see me, and I, they see me as part of an extension of what just happened that they went through. And it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal night. I wish I could relive that night a lot, but that's, the, that's one of those moments that make you say, this is why sports are great. And as much as I would love to be a reality TV show host, Pat, um, I this is better <laughs> because this is you know, this is the best unscripted TV or anything else there is. All right, Sal, I really appreciate you coming on as my first guest. I know you're a busy dude and you've been fighting a sore throat, so it really means a lot for you to take time out and, and do this. I really truly appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. No, appreciate you asking me. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> To the victor belongs the sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I show you a quotation book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... All right, we're about 1,300 miles apart, but fantasy sports and judging old friends on Facebook, Kiesel's connected. I am joined by my longtime buddy, Tone Pucks in Buffalo, for our weekly Pat with Pucks chat. Tone Pucks, what's up? What's going on, man? That scene, 
from Sopranos had to be one of the top fivers for me. Absolutely. As for everything Junior owned, it's now mine. Do you remember it all from the from the meat shop there? Probably not as well as you, but I do. Yeah, no, that was that was uh, Junior telling Bobby Bacala that everything. Uh, or I'm sorry, Tony telling Bobby Bacala that everything that Junior used to run now that he's in prison, Tony now runs. That's a, that, that's a pretty good clip. That God, you know, talking about it, it makes me think how I I, I still I, you know forget that that Gandalfini passed away. That's crazy, man. It's still crazy to me that uh, Tony Soprano is gone. How do you think the Sopranos was supposed to end? I think Tony was gone in that, too. Um, you know, I, I, I think they whacked him. I think they whacked him. I, I think back to that, uh, the episode before where he was in the boat with Bobby and uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, Bobby shot the deer or whatever that was mounted in the in the cabin. And um, uh, what was what did he say? He said, do you think he even heard it coming? And uh, and, and And that's, you know, that's what I, I picture when, when it faded to black. I think uh, I think they knocked on me out. I mean, think about it. New York might have given the okay for them to go after Phil Leotardo, but, you know, the boss of a New York family, like, got his head run over in front of, like, his grandkid or something. New York's not letting New Jersey get away with that. No, so no they came back on him. That's, that's, that's my take. They came back on him. Speaking of getting whacked, I was ready to whack myself waiting for the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball League to uh, officially open up, which it finally did yesterday. And I must have hit refresh on that page a million times, like more times than I would hit refresh on Twitter on day one of NFL free agency. (laughs) We've been in a league together for many years. You're a fantasy guy just like me. How pumped are you for the start of fantasy baseball season? I'm crazy pumped, man. I've got like I've got like seven mock drafts going while we do this at, at the at the same time. I'm ready to go. I got lucky though. I I I, uh, I knew it was opening soon, and and, and um, I wasn't really monitoring it throughout the day. But I saw uh, I saw on Twitter uh, that it was opening up, and that was like a you know one of those twelve hour old messages that they uh, seem to think that you want to see again. But in this case, it worked perfectly because I went over there. There it was, and uh, so Yahoo's good to go. And uh, as soon as ESPN's up, I'll be able to start my my draft strategies for just about everything. So, always a good day. Always a good day. Now, for me, there's nothing like fantasy baseball. And I'm not talking fantasy baseball set up and you set up your lineup on Mondays and you forget it for the week. I'm talking the day-to-day grind of fantasy baseball. To me, it's just next level. I mean, I do other fantasy sports. I do football. I do Hockey, I do basketball. In fact, me and you are in hockey and basketball leagues. And to be honest with you, I, I probably they don't suck. They, I, they, they do they suck. suck. And I don't even know. Our regular season in hockey is over. It's in the playoffs. I'm in first place in our league right now. I honestly couldn't tell you more than six players on my team. And I mean it. It's just in football, I just I hate the concept of setting a lineup one time and forgetting about it. I love the grind of fantasy baseball. There's nothing like it. Absolutely, man. It's not even a grind. It's not even a grind. It's a it's it's two hundred days of pure bliss, which which is incredible because like that week or whatever, not even you know, few days during the All Star break when there's no games, yeah, you know, like you know, I, I I miss it so much. I can't even imagine, you know, what the uh, what the off season is going to be like. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm finding we're finding ways to 
you know, to fill the space with, uh, with, with other fantasy stuff. But nothing compares to baseball, man. It's good to have it back, that's for sure. I agree. Now, let, all right, let's talk. So we got to get to some uh, actual topics here. Let's talk a little Buffalo Bills. So Jimmy G signs a contract for $137 million. God only knows what Kirk Cousins is going to get on the free agent market. Given the contract that, that Jimmy G got, do you think the Bills should even consider pursuing Kirk Cousins? Uh, do I think they should versus do I think they will? I think they should make an inquiry. I think they should, and I think they, they will, cover all bases. I don't think that's just a cliché that they're using. You know, I think a lot of people seem to think that, um, you know, they know what they're going to do or they've got a good idea what they're going to do. And, and I think uh, I, I think that pigeonholes uh, an organization. So when they say that they're going to look at all the options, I believe them. Um, I think that the thing about uh, Cousins that intrigues me is that it would give the Bills the opportunity to use all those draft picks to build, you know, create, you know, to build around them, to, you know, to fill what I think are a fair number of holes on the roster. Is that enough of a reason to drop, you know, 30 mil worth of, uh, worth of your cap on a guy? Probably not. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta love the guy himself to drop 30 million, not just what it's going to allow you to do, uh, at other positions. And um, I, I, I don't think that the Bills are going to fall uh, that much in love with uh, with Cousins to spend that kind of money. So I'm sure, you know, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll talk about it. But in the end, I, I don't see them going that way. Yeah, I don't either. And I'm not even sure. I mean, we'll hear reports of, that the Bills have interest. And who knows? I mean, maybe they even bring them in for, for a visit. I, I, I just don't see any way that's happening. I don't see the Bills spending that kind of money on a free agent quarterback right now. What are a couple free agent options that you think the Bills could possibly pursue, not counting Kirk Cousins? I've loved the Sam Bradford idea um, since about probably the the midpoint of this past season. When, when Bradford went down. Because I think he's – now, I, I will get to it, but I, I don't know that – I'm not confident that the Bills are going that way. But the thing with Bradford is I think he's looking at about a two-year deal. I don't, I don't think anybody is going out there and, and, and uh, committing five years, even four years. He might get a third. But four or five years on a guy who's, you know, had the injury history that he's had. So I think his, you know, I, I think the, the length of the contract fits with uh, with what the Bills will be looking at if, like everybody assumes, you know, they're looking at the draft for their quarterback of the future. So I think Bradford's a really good fit there. And when people, uh, you know, talk about him being injury prone or and obviously I wouldn't be dismissive of that, but my, you know, my comeback on that would be I think they still like Nathan Peterman. So I don't think that they are as fearful as other teams might be about Bradford's injury, all right, and having to turn immediately to a rookie that's not ready, let's say it's Lamar Jackson or Rudolph, all right, because I think that they still believe they can win football games with Nate Peterman. And I think Bradford, I, I think Bradford is an ideal fit, but I'm not confident. Uh, I'm not confident that they're going to see it that same way 
largely because I think they might like Nate Peterman a lot. But um, I don't know. What do you think about Brad, uh, the Bradford idea or, or those Minnesota quarterbacks that seem to be the uh, you know the ones that are, that are going to dictate a lot of this? I think that it's going to come down to what they think of Nate Peterman. I'm not sure I agree with you about how the Bills feel about Nate Peterman. And we're going to talk about him more because when we talk, we talk every day. You know, we're taping this right now, but we talk football pretty much every day. Your take is that you could see Nate Peterman actually being the starting quarterback for the Bills this year. Lay out to me, how do you think that happens? I mean, obviously a lot of things would have to fall into place. They're not, for Nate Peterman to be the week one starter, that likely means they probably didn't go out and sign a guy like Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater or anyone like that. And it also probably means that the Bills in the draft did not move up in the draft to get somebody like Baker Mayfield or Darnold or Rosen. It means that they likely drafted Jackson or Mason Rudolph or someone late in the first round or maybe even in the second or third round. So do you think that's what the Bills are going to ultimately end up doing? Because for Nate Peterman to be the week one starter, I would think that A, they wouldn't sign a, a free agent who would come in to start like a Bradford, and that also would mean that they wouldn't draft a quarterback very high either. Yeah, I think I think both of those um, could end up being a, a reality, and that's that's how I get to the path of Nate Peterman. Now, I'm not naive uh, enough to think that you know the, that it's going to go over well. So I don't believe the Bills, like you know, be it after the draft or or during free agency or at, at any point, all right, where ticket sales are 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 still. Uh, a big part of the push. I don't think the Bills are going to come out and say Nate Peterman is our quarterback. But the path to Nate, Nate Peterman starting would would uh, would start with a quarterback competition. And that's what I think there's a good chance of seeing. I think, you know, I think a Bradford, a Bridgewater, a Keenum, you know, whatever, they are, they are anointed the starter uh, by virtue of their contract and probably publicly as well. I think the Bills are looking at a next tier uh, of quarterbacks, either via free agency or trade, guys like McCown. But McCown is, I think, at the top of this list. Um, Derek Anderson, you know, not <laughs> look guys that are not going to excite people, guys that are going to surprise people, and guys that are probably going to leave Bills fans scratching their head. But um, I think that's the way it's going to go. And I think it's going to be a competition between um, a journeyman, Peterman, and a rook. And I think Peterman wins that competition. I think that's, that's, that's how he ends up the starting quarterback. How much does it bother you? How unfair is it for Nate Peterman, who he was pretty well liked early in the season or through training camp, how unfair is it? to have one awful start in San Diego, and pretty much at this point, I mean, he's only one year in the league, but already that's, it seems to be, that's his legacy right now, one game. Yeah, it's hugely unfair. And I think the Bills know that. I, I think they know that. I think if you, I mean, let's just say that that game doesn't happen. Okay, that game doesn't happen. People, well, all you got to do is go back to the week leading up to that game to know what some people thought of Nate Peterman. People were supportive of that decision. People, you know, were high on him. They liked what they saw, okay? So let's just say that game doesn't happen. He's in the conversation. 
I agree. And I think the Bills are just kind of treating it like that game didn't happen. I mean, you know, and look, it's it's not – I understand people who say, yeah, that's all well and good, but it did happen. Yeah, it did, and it was ugly. There was a confluence of events, though, going into that thing that I think helped to get that ugly, not the least of which was, you know, the Benjamin injury on the first play of the game uh, and playing one of the, you know, toughest uh, teams against the pass in the league. So I, I think the Bills are, are giving the kid a mulligan. I don't think they're giving him a job, uh, not a starting one anyways, but I see a scenario in which he wins one. And, and I even though Brad the Bradford scenario is my personal favorite, if I, if I had to put money on it, I think uh, a quarterback competition is, is the way this thing's going to play out. And, and I just I, I, would, I would guess Peterman would, uh, would win that competition over a journeyman and a, uh, and a rook. The Bills making the playoffs and ending the 17-year drought, that gives them a little bit of a, gives them a, little bit of a path, a little bit of leeway with fans. That if they were to make a decision that might go over as unpopular, to the majority of the fan base. Like, just say your scenario plays out exactly as you said, and Peterman's under center week one. If this team doesn't make the playoffs, I, I don't. I think the, the backlash is, is far worse than it does now. Now that the team enjoyed playoff success, now you trust John McDermott a lot more than you, than you did before. So if they were to go with Peterman, it definitely wouldn't be popular, but I think fans would be a lot more tolerant and understanding of it. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think just about anything short of, and I wouldn't rule this out, you know, anything short of a, a bit of a teardown with surprise moves on guys like Incognito, uh, although that wouldn't be that big of a surprise. Hey, Shady's the key there. All right, Shady's the key there. If, if, they, if they keep a, uh, you know, a top-tier running back, you know, kind of in the, in the back half of his career, then they are still looking to, uh, you know, to win now. But the Bills, you know, they may stretch the limit of just how much wiggle room that playoff appearance bought them with the fans. And they could do some unpopular stuff. But, you know, just Peterman alone, especially if he, uh, especially if it's a job that he wins in camp and, you know, there is someone for the future um, you know, coming up behind him. No, you know, no, no, no one's, uh, you know, no one's jumping ship over that. I don't think. Now you're talking right now scenarios where Peterman starts or Bradford. Now, are these things that you think are are you predicting these or not? I don't want to say predicting them. Are are you sort of is it your vision of what you see happening, or do you rule out not rule out? Do you think the Bills are going to pass on the opportunity? to move way up into the draft to get one of the guys that are perceived to be one of the top two or three quarterbacks. Like I put up a Twitter poll a couple of days ago and I asked Bill's fans, would you give up two first rounders, one of your second rounders plus a third next year to move into Denver's spot, which is at five. If it was to guarantee you either Darnold Rosen or Mayfield, that wasn't a large sample size, a couple hundred people voted, but 57 of them said no, which is still kind of close enough that it could go either way. Do you, not so much do you think the Bills should, but do you think what do you think the chances are that the Bills make that kind of move where they package up a bunch of picks to get themselves into a position where they can get one of those guys in the top four to six picks? 
I think it become. I think it's very similar to the Cousins scenario. I believe they'll be involved in the uh, in the trade talk. Uh, I think it's going to cost them more than it costs other teams for the simple fact that you know most of the other teams that are going to be looking to make that move have an earlier pick in the first round. I mean, I know we have two. I, I get that, but you know most you know most teams that are trading out of that. Uh, you know, that, that, that top 10, especially the top five, they're looking to get maybe to like, God, 10 to 12, you know, maybe in the low teens. If the Bills want to get in that conversation, there's a lot more assets, I think, uh, you know, because, you know, the first round assets aren't high enough this year. And that scares me. And, and, and I think it'll scare them. I, I think it'll end up being too much for them. And I, and I think they, uh, I think they probably hang tight, or at least they hang close and, and, and hope for a favorite of theirs to drop. You know, the team that I'm, I'm looking at that no one's really talking about are, are the Texans because, you know, a guy that was working for Bean just this past year just became general manager of the Texans. Right. So everybody's, you know, everybody's focused on the Giants, too, because Gettleman's there now, and that's what Bean used to work for. I'm, I'm just as interested in, in, in what the Texans might uh, be looking at and what the relationship might be there because I think it's more – Likely that the Bills could find their way into a, I don't know, like a, like a nine through twelve range than than they could into the into the top five. You know, I, I agree for the most part, but I will say this: in today's age, I I think the opportunity to draft a quarterback that could be your guy for ten years and to be able to pay him for the first four to five years a salary that's so low, probably makes you more likely to want to gamble and roll the dice and move up. Because, you know, if you roll the dice, if you give, let's just say hypothetically, you know, they give Kirk Cousins monster money. And he, and he just, he doesn't get it done for whatever reason. He's, he doesn't get any better. The receivers here aren't as good. The line, whatever. They're stuck with absurd money where I feel like if they, let's just say they like Rosen and they want to go all the way up to get him. Yeah, the the compensation risk is high, but... In today's NFL, the money allows you to, to have more freedom to take those chances where you're not buried under the salary cap for the next five years because you overpaid for a guy so much. That's what makes me think that at least it, it gives a little more credibility to the chance that they could move all the way up. Now, I don't know that they'll stand pat, but I do think if a quarterback falls down to, say, anywhere from that 10 to 16 range, they move up where it's not going to cost them an arm and a leg. but I do think that there's at least a feasible chance that they move up. It won't be in the top two or three, but Denver at five. I mean, if Kirk Cousins goes to Denver at five, which a lot of people think happens, or to Cleveland, who has the first and the fourth pick, or the Jets, who pick six, any of those three teams, Kirk Cousins goes there. I think that those are become three teams that are really looking to move down in the draft. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of dance partners, you know, out there right now as is. And and after free agency, you know, that list is only going to grow. And I agree with you as far as you know, if you can get a, a a franchise quarterback for you know five years, it would ultimately be you know with the, with the uh, with the option year four and the option year. Maybe you start them in year one, maybe you don't. But point being, you know, you get them on the cheap. You can you can do a lot of things with that. It's it's almost like having a entry level you know franchise center for three years and then being able to you know build around him and do absolutely nothing around him when he only costs you one million dollars a year. 
and now he's costing you eight. But yeah, that's a that's a different story. What's your right now? What's your knowledge and mine's not very good i mean i i I read twitter i watch youtube videos i read articles from draft experts but my knowledge right now is not up to par when it comes to the top of the of the rookie class when it comes to quarterbacks like right now what's your what's your knowledge on him mike mayock just came out with his ratings this week and he had darnold josh allen who i didn't even mention earlier rosen mayfield and then a tie between jackson and rudolph are there any have you seen enough of any of those quarterbacks that you really like them enough that you're like, man, I really hope he ends up in Buffalo. Dude, I haven't seen any of any of them. All right? I mean, I'm just, just going to be perfectly upfront with you. I go on what I, I, what I hear people say. Um, I knew the Bills were in the quarterback market. Uh, it, did not, uh, it did not make me, uh, you know, tune in on Saturdays any more than I, than I have in the past. I know what I hear. I know what you know what uh, uh, what their measurables are, uh, and and what people say their intangibles are. I think Rosen and Darnold uh, are completely interchangeable. I've seen everybody you know go back and forth on those two. I don't have a a, a preference at all on those two. Allen is the intriguing one with all of the. You know, uh, again, all the measurables, to, you know, to overuse the word that's always overused this time of year. Sure. Mayfield's intriguing. I don't mind his attitude. I don't mind that he's six feet. And I like that I've heard of him and that he's won and played in big games. You know, he brings a little bit of, uh, a little bit of pizzazz to the, uh, to the position and to your franchise. But I think it, I, I think, uh, I think I have resigned myself to, the back end of this thing, though, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a Lamar Jackson, Kyle Rudolph, not Kyle Rudolph, Mason Rudolph, and uh, and potentially uh, Mike White from West Kentucky. As a matter of fact, I'll say this right now. Here's my, you know, if I, if I had a solid, solid parlay odds, okay, my three quarterbacks for the Buffalo Bills entering this coming football season would be. Nathan Peterman, Mike White, and whichever McCown just uh, played for the Jets last year. Josh. I don't know. But I think that's going to be – I think that's what your quarterback room is going to look like. That's what I think. I don't, even, I don't, I don't want to talk about them. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about other, uh, other things that make me sad. Well, speaking of perfect segues, this is the last thing I want to talk about briefly. It's something that I'm sure we're going to get bashed for talking about. And I really don't give a shit. Me and you are both. I like <laughs> so do I, and I'm pretty used to it. We both watch This Is Us. <laughs> we both we both watch This Is Us. That show has me an absolute fucking emotional train wreck. I just can't take it anymore. Without giving direct details to Jack's death, because we all know if you ever watch one episode of the show, we all know from the first episode he dies. But without giving direct details to how he died, for someone who might not have seen it yet. Ugh. How does are you surprised that such a monumentous part of that show they they revealed how so soon only in the second season and not even a finale? I mean, there's still plenty of episodes to go in season two. Are you a little surprised that they gave us what they gave us when they gave it to us? <laughs> Dude, they were pre, they were basically leading you to believe they were going to show you Jack's death in the next episode since like episode five of the first season. 
That I can't is believe true. it took them as long as it took them. I thought they were going to continue to tease us forever, and maybe at the end of the sh- end of the show they would tell us. You know, I, look, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, we both watch it. I I haven't really I haven't really filled you in on on, uh, on how I've been feeling about it lately. It uh, takes nothing away from you know the uh, the emotions that it, that it seems to stir in you, but it does. Yeah, I can't. I mean, come on, man. It's the same. It's been the same exact storyline almost every single episode forever. I, I think I, I think we underestimated just how big of a character William was in season one. Uh-huh. See, William had you know Will, Will, William had style. He had a lot of different uh, you know he had a lot of different faces. You know what I mean? Every other character has the exact same issue. Every single week, Kate's dealing with the weight. My my so, wife Matt, hates Kate. Is 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 uh is is Randall or Roland? I get I get him confused from his character in Army Wife. <laughs> it's Randall. But, you know, is he uh you know is 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 he being a good enough father? You know uh you know the 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 super jock uh uh you know brother Kevin with uh, with, with his issue Kevin you know. I, 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 look, I might be bowing out, man. I, I'm, I'm just Come on. to say it. I might be bowing out. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not I'll out, say this man. much. In, in a way, in a way, I hate Jack because being like him is pretty much unattainable for any man. You ain't Jack. No one is going to be as good as Jack is to, to his wife. Nobody. What about it's, that it's other possible. What about, the, what about Kate's man? I just want to have a few traces of Jack in me, and I don't even know if I could do that. It makes you almost hate the guy. Oh, Toby. Uh, You're talking about Toby. Yeah. Toby's cool as hell, man. Do you know that Toby? Yeah, I don't know no, if you know that. Yeah, Toby's cool, but he's always, you know, everything Everything Kate does, he's there, he's supporting her. Uh, you know, yeah, I, they're I making told, us look like shit. Uh, you know, I told, I told old Sherry, I told old Sherry right from the jump, that, that shit ain't real. That's TV. <laughs> next episode, you know what, next week, next week we're going to get into the origins of your girlfriend's nickname because it's awesome. The last time I was saying about, did you know that Toby wears a fat suit? I don't know the actor's name, but I don't know if you knew this. He's actually pretty skinny, and he wears a fat suit for the show. I don't know if you knew that. I did. I did read that. I did read that. So you know what? I'm not even going to. I don't know. I mean, you I told know. me that you're getting ready to bow out, so I'm not going to even try to get your take on where you think the show Go goes ahead. from there. Let's just skip that shit. I'll tell you what. Let's wrap this up here for this week, guys. Give Tone Pucks a follow on Twitter. His handle is at Tone Pucks. I don't say anything really that intelligent. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, not unless it's uh, <laughs> not unless you're fighting with someone from the media or pointing out something they said wrong. That you are an oh, expert at that. You are yeah, an expert well, at correcting people. Talk, if, you, if you want me to talk about how Steve Tasker took up an entire segment this week talking about how the Bills had to wait until June on Tyrod Taylor. That's a whole different story, but, you know, I, I digress. I digress. All right, guys. Well, anyway, give him a follow on Twitter. It's at Tone Pucks. And uh, thanks, Tone, and we'll talk again next week. Yeah, right, whatever. Terrible tweets. Tell me I did not just see that. Sadly, I did just see that. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the Buffalo Sabres on these podcasts, at least not right now, and that's basically for two reasons. Number one, I simply don't think that the majority of people who are tuning in 
care about the Sabres. And number two, they just, they stink and they're a tire fire. But on this debut edition of Terrible Tweets, I saw a pair of tweets that were so bad that I have to feature them today. And the distinction goes to at Pendolino Sam, who has a pair of really disparaging tweets about Buffalo Sabres star Jack Eichel. He says the following, <laughs> and I quote, It's no secret that Bleisman and Eichel, and he's referring, of course, to former Buffalo Sabres coach Stan Bleisman, it's no secret that Bleisman and Eichel didn't get along. Bleisman wanted more effort from Eichel, didn't get it, and was fired. He's, he's as in Jack, he's not a cancer, but he's not captain material either. Hashtag Sabres. And then he has another tweet. McDavid, Matthews, Eichel. Only one has been called lazy. If we can see that he doesn't give 100% all the time, I'm sure his teammates seize it too. Hashtag Sabres. <laughs> that is garbage. I seize some terrible tweets, Sam. Jack's not lazy. Jack's one of the few guys in the locker room that legitimately looks pissed off after a loss, which is quite often, almost all the time. Jack's not a coach killer. I've never heard Jack be called lazy. He's the franchise player, the best player, the richest player. And guys who play with him suddenly play better. You play with Jack, you get in the point column. You don't play with Jack and boom. In the trash you go. Jack's not captain material? <laughs> this is why some Buffalo fans can't have nice things. By the way, get well soon, Jack. These are terrible tweets. Moranolytics MVP. You're the real MVP. So it was Valentine's night. It's around like 11 p.m. And I'm laying around on the couch bumming it, which is nothing new for me. I throw on Netflix, and I'm completely oblivious that a Chris Rock original special was now up on that biatch. Netflix is becoming known for dropping shows on fans without warning, kind of like when a major WWE star returns to Monday Night Raw, completely unannounced after several years away, like when Shane McMahon came back a couple of years ago. For me, this Chris Rock special, called Tambourine, it's like the comedy equivalent to when Beyonce secretly dropped Lemonade on us. Just like the record, it's one thing to drop a surprise bomb on your fans. It's a completely different animal to deliver something great. Tambourine's Chris Rock's first stand-up special in a decade, and I'm telling you, that's just funny as hell. I know it's hard being a cop, but some jobs, everybody got to be good. American Airlines can't be like, you know, most of our pilots like to land. I'm not going to give anything away. See it for yourself. Don't be an idiot, because only an idiot wouldn't want to see this hour-long special. Here's my take. Chris Rock's Tambourine is better, far better, than any of the four Dave Chappelle Netflix specials I've seen over the last year. And I love Dave Chappelle. 
this Chris Rock show is just flat out better. And apparently, this is the first of two Chris Rock specials to come on Netflix. I can't freaking wait for the second one. Chris Rock, Runaway Choice, Moranalytics, MVP. You are such a loser. Loser! You're a loser! Moranalytics, LVP. The Moranalytics podcast is an anti-political podcast. So, I already feel like a hypocrite. But, sometimes you just can't let shit slide. This clueless bitch from Fox News, Laura Ingram, said on the air that LeBron James should shut up and dribble. You're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Now look, I say what I want to say when it comes to politics, and I ain't trying to stop you from saying what you want to say. I don't care if you're pro-Trump. I don't care if you're anti-Trump. That's your business. Every man and woman should have a right to speak whatever's on their mind. I'm not trying to be an activist or socially conscious here. That's just just basic rights. Who is this bitch to tell an athlete, and let's be real here, a black athlete, to shut up and dribble? People have been fired or suspended from TV stations for far less shit. She also accused LeBron of leaving high school a year early, proving she has no fucking clue what she's even talking about. By the way, Laura, you are suggesting that celebrities should stay in their lanes, but it's all right for the likes of Gene Simmons, Clint Eastwood, Ted Nugent, uh, Kid Rock, Chuck Norris, and Dog the fucking Bounty Hunter to come on your station's programs and speak their conservative views. And for the record, I'd be blasting MSNBC or CNN all the same if Cooper Anderson told very public Trump supporter John Voigt to stick to acting, I'd come on here next week and I'd be telling Cooper Anderson to shut the fuck up the same. Laura Ingram, her ass is just whack. <laughs> All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank Sal Capaccio for taking time out of his very busy schedule to be my first ever guest. Thanks to my man, Tone Pucks, as well, who, unlike Sal, ain't got shit to do and dropped by to kick off some Pat with Pucks. My man. Most of all, of course, Thanks to all you guys for listening. Now, you know what to do. Go to iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell that's called now. Go there. Subscribe to this podcast and leave me five stars. I deserve five stars. And don't be lazy because that sequence literally takes you about 15 seconds tops. You can also catch this podcast on Spotify. Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever future award-winning podcasts are heard. I feel like I haven't quite asked you to do enough. So also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets, like my Facebook page, Moranalytics blog, and most importantly, check out 
www.moranalytics.com for all my expertly handcrafted brilliance in the world of blogging. This podcast is definitely a process. I had a lot of fun doing it this first time and plan on getting a little better each time out. So, I'll be back next week. And until then, remember the great Paul Rudd in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, who said the greatest movie line ever. Hey, here's the deal. When life gives you lemons, just like fuck the lemons and fail. Talk to you next time. Stay safe.